Welcome to Affect Autism. We have been talking about different schools that use the DIR approach, the developmental individual differences relationship-based model by Dr. Stanley Greenspan. And this week we have with us Dave Nelson from the Community School in Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome Dave. Hey, nice to be with you. So um, I've heard a little bit about what you do but obviously, it's better if you tell your story. My understanding is that you were not in the autism world or the DIR world at all professionally until it affected you personally. Would you like to start there? Sure, and I feel like that is uh, the experience of a lot of people that I end up meeting in the, uh, in the world of autism. Uh, but uh, my son, who's now uh, in his late 20s, he's at the age where I no longer know exactly how old he is, which I feel like is a good thing. Uh, when he was three, he was diagnosed on the spectrum, and he was the genesis of, of my journey into uh, developmental disabilities and counseling as a profession. So uh, we had the benefit of working with some excellent clinicians here in Atlanta who were using the DIR model. Uh, Dr. Barbara Dunbar, a developmental psychologist, uh, is one in particular. And it was ultimately that journey that led me to go back to school and retrain as a mental health counselor. Uh, and then ultimately, as my son was struggling with uh, educational settings, that ultimately led to the creation of the community school. Wow. Um, so when you say that, you mean that uh, the school, the public schools in your area or wherever you could find weren't meeting his needs and you felt very strongly that you could do something better. Yeah, and so, you know, before I go any further, I wanna say that, you know, my son is one person on the spectrum and his experience is certainly not every person's experience and my experience as a parent is not every parent's experience. And I try to stay really aware of that even as I work with a lot of uh, parents now in my professional capacity. But certainly, uh, my kid was somebody who had a huge amount of anxiety, was very conscious of how different he was from other people, and struggled to be in any setting, really. He, str he certainly struggled in mainstream settings, but he also struggled even in specialized settings. Uh, and what sort of gradually became evident is that he needed a place and this, I know this will sound sort of silly, but he needed a place that had infinite flexibility and also infinite opportunity. Uh, and he actually said that to me once. He said, the perfect place for me would just have, you know, infinite support, but also, you know, put no limits on, on what I can do. Uh, and that's, I think that's actually uh, not uh, an unrealistic uh, ideal to go for, but it's also difficult. Uh, it's like the challenge that parents have disciplining their children without being angry. You know, it's possible, it's just hard to do. <laughs> right. Uh, and, you know, so what became evident uh, for my son is that uh, he needed a place that was really focusing much more on some of these social emotional foundations, how to manage the ups and downs of everyday life, uh, how to be able to think in the gray, to be able to not just be a black and white thinker, to not just be relying on wrote memory skills or uh, the absorption of, of content or knowledge, but, but also really be focusing explicitly on how do I build relationships? How do I see multiple perspectives? How do I 
kind of integrate into the larger world. Uh, and that really became, it was a journey initially that um, we as his parents and he as a, a child were on, but that ultimately became my professional journey as well. So can you tell us a little bit about what you did professionally and how old was your son as you were finding out more and more and, and are, you're a counselor then? Uh, yes, I'm now trained as a mental health counselor in Georgia. We're called LPCs, Licensed Professional Counselors. Uh, and I had actually also, uh, I have a master's in business administration as well. And I had taught at the college level for a number of years before returning to school as a counselor. Uh, but after, so when uh, my son Graham was three, he was diagnosed. We began learning a lot about floor time and about the DIR model and began doing a lot of individual therapy with him. By the time he was five or six, I was actually running a fairly significant home program for him where we had a lot of volunteers and other professionals coming in to work with him. Uh, and so by the time he was eight or nine, I had decided to go back to school uh, and had uh, completed my professional training by the time he was about 12. Uh, and then it was when he was 13 or 14 that I started uh, this school project. Uh, so ultimately, he did not uh, end up remaining as my student for a very long time. He went off to other programs and did other things, but certainly his journey was, was the genesis of the community school. Wow, that's incredible. And so you found DIR fairly early on, it sounds like. Yeah, I feel like we were very lucky in that regard that the professionals that we got connected with in Atlanta were really deeply invested in, in that approach. And it was at a time when the DIR model was still relatively new. So they were learning as we were learning. And I think like most experienced parents, we certainly had a lot of exposure to a lot of different uh, modes of intervention. I mean, and, and, and back in the, you know, the early 90s, there was certainly this strong dichotomy between applied behavioral analysis and the DIR model. Um, and we, you know, I think we're invested in learning a lot about that. But there's really so many uh, different kinds of therapies depending upon the profile of your child. And uh, I, mean, I gave a presentation once a few years ago and I put together a slide of all the different kinds of therapies or interventions we'd ever tried as parents. And it was about four slides long. I mean, there was just this infinite number of things. So again, I think, you know, there are um, a, a lot of things to try and I don't want to be in the position of trying to judge all of those, certainly not in this conversation. But what I think the DIR model did for us as a family and for Graham as an individual is it provided a really meaningful foundation for understanding what was happening for him, what was struggling to happen for him, and then when it might make sense to try some of these other interventions. Uh, and ultimately, it kept bringing us back to this idea of um, engagement and reciprocity, that ultimately where Graham and where I feel like a lot of people on the spectrum are at risk is of not being able to stay connected and interactive with people because they get hijacked by their strong emotional reactions. Mm -hmm. um, and that, apart from whatever learning difficulties uh, somebody has, that's a really important central idea to come back to. Uh, and that's ultimately, I think, held true for us at the community school, that's a guiding principle for the work that we do now. 
So let's talk more about the community school. Yeah. Your, um, what is the age group that you serve? It, uh, it varies from year to year. I'll tell you right now, the age range uh, this fall is uh, 11 to 35. Oh, wow. Uh, there are a couple of outliers there. We, are, uh, we think of ourselves as a program for adolescents and young adults. Uh, but we have this year, we have a strong middle school cohort, and we have a couple of people who, I mean, I'm, I'm given my own age, I'm willing to say that 30s is still young adulthood, <laughs> but uh, I understand that most people think of young adulthood as, as young 20s. Uh, the vast majority of our participants, <clears throat> excuse me, are between the ages of 15 and 25. <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, but we have a uh, we have a middle school cohort, we have a, a high school contingent, and then we have a big group of young adults who are in various stages of transitioning to adulthood. So for some, that may be uh, attending college. For others, that's getting work experience, and for others, that's trying to move out of their parents or caregivers' home and live independently. We organize our program by peer cohorts. So uh, there are roughly four different cohorts, and what you'll see in those cohorts, uh, what binds those peers together are common goals, uh, and to a certain extent profiles, although I think it's, it's you know, very hard to, to cluster people too tightly just based on a profile, but people who are striving to go to college or to you know live independently are in one cohort people who are going to need more support over a long period of time are in a different cohort and sometimes those groups overlap and interact but that's how we organize the program so in i have so many questions um first for administration are you a public school are you funded by um the government of the state or how how does how does that work first of all yes so we are a private school for all intents and purposes. We're a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, we are accredited as a school. Uh, so uh, we, in some cases, grant high school diplomas. Um, although a lot of our work is post high school, so we're not just a, a high school. Uh, and in the state of Georgia, the I mean, we are in better shape than some states and probably worse shape than, than other states. If you are, uh, if you have been a public school uh, student and you have an IEP, an individualized education plan in place, then you are, and you decide to opt out of the public system, then you are eligible for a certain amount of money. It's known in Georgia as the Georgia Special Needs Scholarship, uh, and we are a provider of uh, special needs scholarship services. So people can use that money to uh, help pay their tuition with us. But essentially, we're a private school with a, with a private school tuition. Uh, and as a nonprofit, we have to raise uh, a couple of hundred thousand dollars each year to, to, um, to make ends meet. We don't charge as much in tuition as the cost of services that we provide. Um, but uh, I think for us and for many programs like us, that is probably the central challenge is how do you make this kind of programming accessible to the widest range of people? Right. And um, I guess if you have, if you're, do you have an age limit like you must be 11 years old or you mentioned uh, that it varies from year to year? Sure. 
So we don't have a strict age limit. I would say generally uh, we are we consider ourselves to be relatively experienced and expert in uh, in adolescence and adulthood. So by that I mean puberty and beyond. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a number of uh, pretty good specialized elementary schools in the Atlanta area. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel in that respect. Uh, and I think where we, where I initially saw the need and where we continue to see the need is in that transition to adulthood. So our work with 11, 12, 13-year-olds is really, um, it's really about catching somebody at a place where they are transitioning into adolescence and we have a particular expertise and comfort with that area. Uh, so, you know, I, I can't say that we would never take a 10-year-old, but I can tell you that the people that we're working with um, are consistent with that idea that they are coming into puberty, they are transitioning into that world of adolescence, whatever their developmental profile. Um, so that's really our uh, that's really our limit on the on the young end is puberty. And a couple of questions about uh, applying. So I guess how do you apply DIR mm -hmm. and DIR floor time in your school, and how does that, um, how is it impacted if the children coming in have never had DIR or they've had ABA or some of them may have had, do you, I guess it doesn't matter what they had before, but you're getting in a gamut of children that have had sure. all kinds of services by that age. So um, can you talk a little bit about both of those things? Sure. And I'll start by saying, I, I do think that it is sometimes possible to uh, to feel the difference in some of the people that we begin to work with, um, depending on the kind of intervention or support that they have had prior to being with us. Uh, and I, I don't want to be so facile as to say that the families that have done floor time and DIR function so much better, you know, or anything like that. But I do think that people who have been trying to support their children in the same areas that we begin to focus on, you can usually you can usually see that. Uh, and what I mean by that is you can you can see and understand whether somebody has got at least an emerging capability to see the perspective of another person, or to negotiate and compromise, or to be able to self reflect a little bit and articulate their feelings in some form or fashion. And people who are coming from a different uh, intervention background frequently are, uh, they may be capable in other areas, particularly uh, in uh, sort of academic or cognitive ways, um, and maybe certainly well-behaved or compliant. I don't, I don't mean to suggest anything uh, that I feel like that's a whole different area to talk about. But what a, what a lot of times you tend to see is people who have emerged into uh, much more black and white thinking, much more kind of emotionally rigid thinking overall. And whereas that may not have been a significant problem through elementary school, what tends to happen in adolescence is you've got a, a whole added raft of complications from you know hormones and maturity and self-awareness that combined with that rigidity leads to a lot more um, yeah, for lack of a better term, behavioral problems. I don't really like to think of it that way, but it's just a lot more difficulty connecting with other people and integrating successfully into the world. Um, 
So how we actually, you know, apply the DIR framework in our program, uh, I would say in a couple of ways. Uh, for one, it is it absolutely kind of forms the foundation of uh, kind of the philosophy of our approach, of our approach. So we are, and I hesitate to use a lot of buzzwords, but I but I think they apply in this case. So we're certainly a person-centered program. So a lot of what we're doing is getting to know the people that we work with and helping them to be able to articulate the goals that are important for them and ultimately helping them to be able to be co-collaborators in their experience and in where they're headed. Uh, and certainly parents are, are an integral part of that as well. I don't mean to say that we don't also collaborate with the parents, but a big part of, of the move to adulthood for anybody of any developmental profile is being able to make decisions for yourself and being able to advocate for yourself. Now, so, do you find that some of your kids have a, quite a hard time doing that even? For sure. And that, that might be a years, uh, you know, multiple years long process. I don't at all mean to suggest that any of this is, you know, easy. <laughs> um, but that's certainly the goal. So from the beginning, we are working to develop a trusting relationship with a participant and to get them as engaged as they possibly can be in that process of determining their own course. But you're absolutely right. Not everybody is in a place to be able to do that. Some people are struggling with much more fundamental issues than what do I want to be when I grow up. Well, uh, I, I'm are... even just thinking neurotypically, what, what average high school child knows what they want to do? I, they might have, some might have some general idea, but it is a big um, thing to think about. It's... Um, and I imagine some other kids know, you know, uh, come into your school and they're very clear on, on what they want. So, yeah, it's a, it's a good point. And it's interesting that you went to the, the, the what I want to do or what I want to be when I grow up. And I, and I know I use that term. But I think the, the roots of self-advocacy and self-determination start with much, much smaller ideas. Uh, and that may be... Um, making decisions about what I'm going to wear in the morning or um, how I want to learn about a certain topic or what topic I might want to learn about or where I want to sit in the classroom or you know, there's, a, I think, just so many micro moments throughout our day that are what help us to build that capacity to self-determine. And particularly for a lot of people, I feel like I've seen this in my professional life a lot, a lot of uh, children coming through intensive intervention a lot of times are very externally directed and they don't have a sense that they can make their own decisions. They don't even really know what that means or they don't have the emotional durability to make decisions. So for example, I'm thinking of one student that we've worked with who when we first met him, if you asked him you know, what his favorite color was, he would struggle with that. Making a choice of even like a color that he preferred was very difficult uh, or asking him, you know, if we had a choice of two movies, which movie would he want to watch? That was very difficult. He would tend to defer to somebody else. So I think a lot of this notion of helping people become independent adults really starts with, can you make these basic decisions about your, your daily life and can you be aware that other people around you might also be making different decisions and at times you also have to work together to create collaborative decisions? So it's not all about what do you want to be. Sometimes it's just about 
which way do you want to walk to the store today? Um, and so how, part of how DIR is infused in our program is that we are very process-oriented. So in almost every class, there's going to be a lot of, uh, of that kind of process of engaging the students in making decisions that affect them as opposed to simply coming in and, and having a teacher say, this is what's going to happen. Right, that's great. Um, and how, how does this work logistically? So that's sort of a, an overarching conceptual idea of how it's applied. How does everyday look? Um, what are the logistics? Are there classrooms? Are there, is every, every child have a one-on-one -on -one support worker? Um, how does that work every day at the school? Yeah. So uh, in some respects, you know, if you came in to visit the community school, it would look, it would certainly be recognizable as a, a, a school. We have uh, rooms or classrooms uh, with teachers or counselors that populate those rooms. Uh, and everybody has a schedule that, that basically is the same schedule from week to week. So it's not a it's not a shapeless, formless kind of experience. People know where they're supposed to go and know what they're doing. Uh, but it's also very individualized. So for the students we have who are working on a high school diploma, there's going to be significantly more clearly academic work in their schedule. Uh, but even for those students, uh, for all of our participants, there'll be a lot of what we would call affinities-based work. So we're building a lot of learning, uh, whether it's diploma-oriented or not, we're building a lot of learning off of the students' particular interests uh, and capabilities. Uh, so you might see we have a, a cluster of students who have a strong love of dinosaurs. So you might see dinosaurs as a theme running through a number of classes. We have people who love anime or who have other, you know, interests in World War II or other kinds of, we have people who are very focused on who, who learn better and function better when they're moving. So there's a lot more movement-based activities in their schedule. So everybody will have an individual schedule. We are not, um, you asked about kind of one-on-one -on -one support. So everybody in the program has an individual counselor. So they will see an individual counselor at least once a week. And they will probably have several other periods during the week when they are one-on-one -on -one with a staff person of some kind. Uh, we are not, for the most part, we are not a only one-on-one -on -one program. So most, uh, most participants are also in a lot of small groups for classes or various activities. For us, a group might be two or three or four people. So a large group for us would be, um, would be our hiking group, which would be eight or nine participants and, and three or four staff. So uh, when we talk about groups, we're still talking about, you know, twos and threes and fours, because a, a lot of what we're always working on is that capacity for somebody to stay attuned to the people around them and stay communicative with the people around them. And it gets a lot more complicated the more people you add. Mm -hmm. um, and how do you work in that uh, DIR model in terms of children coming in who aren't at functional emotional developmental capacity six. So the um, we spoke in a blog um, with Dr. Tippy about foundation academics and how 
it's so important to get those solid functional, emotional, developmental capacities down where you're able to be regulated, share attention, engage, interact, uh, socially problem solve, be able to think symbolically and then logically and build bridges between ideas. And when our kids struggle, and a lot of them struggle at the first level, self-regulation, even if they sure. can get up that developmental ladder, um, it, do, how, do, how do you support them to build up the holes that are in those earlier capacities? Because by the time they're that age, they've sort of managed, uh, figured out a way to cope in their everyday life, whatever way that is, and that might involve being dysregulated much of the day, or it might involve right. other strategies. Um, do you guys, is that a big focus of your school is to go back and, and sort of try and build up and, and make those earlier capacities more robust? Yeah, the short answer is yes. And I would say that the challenge of that is less, uh, is less about the challenge of working with the individual student and more about the challenge of supporting the family as a whole and understanding what it is that we're doing. Uh, because I think, although a lot of families come to us when they're, they're in a lot of distress and dysregulation themselves um, and have at least some intuitive understanding that what we're going to do is going to be helpful to their child. I think it's very hard for everybody to get out of the, the, the mode of, we gotta get them through school, we gotta get a high school degree, we don't wanna get behind in the academics. And as, as, as sort of facile or shallow as it can sound, you know, um, it's, it's not helpful to stay really strongly focused on some sort of academic competency if you're not able to function emotionally in the world. Uh, and that's not at all to say that getting a high school degree or a college degree isn't an important and valuable thing, but you've got to be able to navigate the world in a more uh, emotionally stable way in order to take advantage of those things. So ultimately, I would say that um, we are, have gotten... I think pretty comfortable with taking new students that we have and at least in the short term kind of decreasing the academic challenge and spending a lot of time on that co-regulation piece. Can we help somebody, can we get regulated and interactive with somebody? Can we help them get better at managing their own regulation? Can we move them up that developmental ladder and fill in some of those holes more consistently? Where the difficulty comes in supporting the parents and understanding that we're not just fooling around. We're not just playing all the time with no purpose. That, um, that a lot of the work that we're doing is actually going to enable their child to, to make much better use of their cognitive capabilities down the road. And I imagine that is a bit of a jump for some parents who aren't familiar with DIR. Yeah, for sure. And it's uh, one of the things, I guess we have gradually learned this because, um, you know, now I think this is our 13th year, we now have a pretty robust parent support and education component. That's become a really significant part of our program. So we do monthly parent support groups. We do required orientation for parents coming in. We do ongoing parent training. Uh, we... For a lot of our participants, um, we provide essentially daily, uh, daily online notes that really serve as, as kind of a training mechanism for parents, helping parents understand why it is we're doing what we're doing. 
Uh, and, you know, again, I would say regardless of your developmental profile, that transition from adolescence to an adulthood is as much a transition for the parents and the family as it is for the individual. Uh, and so we try to do a lot of support that is explicitly targeted at those parents. Uh, I would say probably the majority of the people we work with don't have a significant familiarity with ZIR before coming to us. And although I think we certainly promote ourselves as a DIR school and we promote the DIR model, we really try to focus less on those those labels or brands and more on what it is that we can do to actually help your child help your child be successful in ways that he or she has not been able to be successful in the past right uh, so uh, again it's it's as there's a lot of relationship building with the families in the same way that there is a lot of relationship building with the with the participant so let's talk a little bit about the staff who do you have working with all of your students Mm -hmm. So uh, we, um, we have a staff, so our program, which is relatively small, so we have 25 full-time participants in our program, and we have a staff of about uh, 17, uh, 17 people doing direct service. Uh, and uh, my training is mental health training, so I would definitely describe our program as a therapeutic program. That is a specific component of what we do. So currently, seven of our staff people are licensed mental health professionals. Uh, and then we have another big cluster of people who come from the world of education and special education. So we have several certified teachers and our curriculum director is an experienced special ed teacher in both public and private schools. Uh, and then the rest of the staff is rounded out by people who are passionate about particular, uh, particular ways of being. And it may be, uh, you know, sort of fitness or outdoor elements in our program. Uh, we have some uh, artists and musicians that are assistant teachers with us that bring a lot of their other lives into the program as well. Uh, because we are because we do offer an accredited high school diploma generally for a small number of students each year, uh, you know, we sometimes run into the challenge of, well, how do we teach this higher level science class or how do we teach this higher level math class? Um, and so there are cases where we sometimes will uh, bring somebody in from the outside or use some sort of outdoor, uh, I'm sorry, outside uh, component, an online class of some kind or something else to supplement. But for the most part, we found that we can we can cover our needs pretty well with the staff that we have, and that it's ultimately in a in that uh, kind of collaborating way with the participant, we can usually figure out how to get their needs met uh, one way or another. So I imagine that all of the staff are trained in DIR as well. We are for uh, new staff every year. Um, I essentially teach a, a DIR 101 class, which is kind of the, the introductory class. Uh, a number of our staff have gone through various levels of the training through the ICDL, the Interdisciplinary Council on Developmental and Development and Learning. Uh, so we have some intermediate and some advanced uh, providers uh, in, in that framework. Uh, and it's a it's a part of our essentially our weekly training. So not only do our 
licensed counselors have weekly supervision as part of um, their staff week, but then we also do case presentations and other kinds of training for the whole staff. So uh, it's really a central part of uh, our training throughout the year, throughout the program year. And I imagine there's a lot of collaboration among the staff in preparing each child's program. Yeah, and I would say that's actually that collaboration is one of the uh, the great things about working at the community school is, uh, you know, I think working with challenging students or participants can be kind of a high burnout sort of activity just generally in life. Uh, but I think what makes that a much more rewarding experience is to be uh, collaborating with other people and being able to um, share ideas and share struggles uh, with staff. So in that sense, we are um, we're kind of very flat hierarchically. Uh, where there's a lot of uh, you know hallway consults that go on, and there's a lot of um, subgroups and small teams that are built around the needs of a particular student. And so um, I think generally. Uh, not only do the staff people feel supported, but ultimately I think the students are getting, you know, four or five minds coming together around their needs pretty regularly. And do you have any interventions such as speech and language pathology or occupational therapy, the kinds of things that are really prevalent with the younger kids? Right. And that's all I know because my little guys just turned eight, so (laughs) we're still in that phase. It's yeah. It's a it's a great question, and we made uh, a I guess you would call it a strategic decision early on to not try to have uh, those discrete therapies uh, in our program or those therapists particularly on staff. I'm not opposed to hi- hiring uh, somebody with those credentials in our program, but not really to provide those services per se. Um, so uh, we do get some consultative help from, um, from some of my professional colleagues in the Atlanta area when we need it, you know, occupational therapy consults or speech language consults. Uh, but generally, we are working in a more uh, kind of holistic way in our program. There are times when we suggest that people see those professionals outside of our program if they're not already. In general, and I I don't want to overgeneralize, but I'd say in general, by the time families have kids who've gotten to adolescence, for the most part, those discrete therapies have tended to drop away in the service of an educational program anyway. Um, But I would also say that our, for example, our fitness and movement work is, uh, you know, highly influenced by the principles of occupational therapy and sensory integration and, and the training that we've gotten. Uh, so it's only when we see somebody that has a relatively extreme need that we feel like might be better served by a therapist that will then recommend that. And what kind of role do you guys play, if any, outside of the school? So for instance, um, I've heard a number of stories, certainly not from schools like yours, but just in general in the media about adolescents with autism, getting in trouble with the police, maybe there's an altercation at home or in public at a movie theater or something like that. And, um, you know, people don't understand that this person has autism and maybe a gun is drawn or whatever. Do you play any kind of role if, if things like that happen outside of school in advocating for your students? 
Yeah, I, I mean, it comes up, well, I won't say it comes up a lot, but it certainly those kinds of things, uh, run-ins with the law or run-ins with, uh, yeah, the institutions of our culture um, uh, occur enough that uh, we have a, yeah, a relatively high degree of experience in crisis management. So there are certainly times as... Uh, as anybody who goes to see a counselor or a mental health professional, professional might do, you know, if they get into some sort of trouble in their lives, they might call on that professional in a crisis. Uh, we sort of operate the same way. Uh, and we, ha we have had situations where participants have both been uh, victims in, in legal type situations and where they have been potential perpetrators in situations. And we try to be as supportive as we can um, with the with the client's permission, uh, either advocating on behalf of the client or, um, uh, you know, uh, in in one case, for example, uh, recently, you know, kind of working with the the client's legal team to help support that process. Um, the I think what's uh, sort of sobering about all of that is that uh, the reality of becoming an adult. Uh, for all of us, but certainly for people with developmental challenges, is that those risks are real. The risks of being uh, either inadvertently or intentionally a perpetrator, the risks of being a victim uh, of a, of a um, malfeasance are real, and it's hard to, you can't protect everybody from everything. And so I think the view that we take is that we want to be strengthening some as much as possible we want to be strengthening somebody's capacity to understand what's happening, to advocate for themselves so that they can stay out of dangerous situations, and then to be able to navigate those, uh, those situations after they've happened in the most self-aware way. And that goes back to, I think, those DIR principles, is you've got to be able to regulate yourself, you've got to be able to stay connected and interactive so that you can be in that kind of logical thinking uh, mode. But certainly those things happen, and we are, I think, um, I think most families have experienced us as being very helpful, uh, both, yeah, the emotionally, the, the emotional support piece as well as sometimes kind of the, the legal or advocacy piece. Great. Um, just to start thinking about wrapping up here, um, can you tell us a little bit about what you get personally from doing this kind of work? Because I, I know as a parent of an autistic child, it, it's very stressful at times. And um, I, I can't imagine taking on such a, a feat like you have where you're putting yourself um, out there as a support person for numerous other families and, and almost taking on a lot of that stress as well. So... Um, Obviously, you'll need your own time to to ground yourself, but also you must be um, feeling some reward from doing this kind of work. Can you talk about what you get from from doing this? Sure, and I think that kind of brings it around to what we talked about at the beginning, or what I mentioned at the beginning, is that I think a lot of professionals in the field have a personal connection uh, or some sort of personal experience, and. Uh, I mean, maybe, you know, it's a little shallow and cynical to say, you know, I got into this business to work out my own issues. Um, but, you know, I think there's a, a grain of truth to that, that, um, you know, the journey I have been on for 28 years with my son 
uh, is an ongoing one. I mean, I am, I'm still the parent of uh, a person on the spectrum, and as much as he is uh, relatively independent, he still um, has needs that are, that are different than the mainstream, and then I still, you know, his, his experience still is a part of my thinking all the time. Uh, so in some respects, the work that I'm doing is a way to kind of stay connected to that, um, but to also give myself some perspective and balance, that it's not just the grind of being a parent yourself. There's also, I think, kind of a freedom in being able to support other families. Um, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, I think some people are built to be helpers, and I certainly have a, a big piece of that in me. I find it, you know, gratifying to be able to support uh, support other people, and I think I'm blessed with the ability to stay relatively calm when other people are in crisis. Um, and I think that certainly helps working with adolescents and young adults because when that group of people gets upset, that can be challenging for, for a lot of people around them. So um, I think what I also find very gratifying is, uh, I don't know, I guess I'll say it this way, is it's, it's a little bit, you know, kind of myth-busting um, for autism. I mean, people on the spectrum are as desirous of being connected to other people as anybody else. And we all have a range of variability. It's not everybody wants to go to cocktail parties every night anyway. Uh, but I think this idea that people on the spectrum somehow, um, yeah, don't want or don't need the connection to other people is just wrong. And so it's gratifying to have a program that emphasizes that and then can demonstrate the results, the positive results of that. And one, one logistical question I forgot to ask early on, is your school only for children who have a diagnosis of autism? Uh, I guess the short answer is no. We certainly work with some people who do not have uh, a formal diagnosis on the spectrum. Uh, and certainly when you meet people who are in adolescence and young adulthood who may, who may very well uh, be on the spectrum but who may not have received a diagnosis, um, or the other way around, people who are diagnosed very early, but as they grow, some of their maybe mental health symptoms seem to become more obvious, anxiety or depression or um, other kinds of things. Uh, so it's not, uh, we don't see a spectrum diagnosis as some sort of limiting factor in terms of working with somebody. Uh, that being said, I think there are, um, it's generally in the neighborhood of the autistic spectrum that we are uh, most competent and comfortable. and. Uh, while we generally will make an admissions decision based on whether we think we can support somebody and whether they'll, they can be a successful part of our community, uh, that's not necessarily somebody who's on the spectrum, but more often than not it is. So I, I don't know if that's kind of a waffling answer, but um, yeah, I, 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 you know, we have a fairly comprehensive admissions process, but I think we can generally feel when somebody is, we will be able to benefit them and somebody who we might not be able to help. Well, as my mother would say, you deserve a front row seat in heaven for the work that you do. <laughs> um, I want to thank you so much for sharing this information. I mean, I, I think so many families wish that they had access to a school like yours in their community. And before we sign off, is there anything else you want to tell us about the community school uh, that you didn't get a chance to talk about so far? 
Uh, I mean, I guess yes and no. I mean, it's 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 certainly a work of passion for me, and there's a, a, a I think a lot that I could continue to share about it. I think the the thing I would want to emphasize um, for you know for, for families or for people listening is that ultimately it's not uh, it's not really about schooling or education. And I grant you that the community school has the word school in its name, but it is really about the transition to the most kind of successful, connected, uh, purposeful adult life uh, that we can help people to have. So, um, and I, I went through this with my own child, kind of having to give up on the idea of him getting a high school degree uh, in order for him to get to a place where ultimately he was able to do that. And he's now been able actually to go on and, and he's working on his college degree now. Uh, ultimately, what we're trying to do is help people be uh, figure out what it is that they want for their lives, help them to become as independent as they can be, and as purposeful and happy as they can be. And whether that involves getting a high school degree or not, whether that involves getting a college degree or not, it's really about helping people transition into the best, uh, the best self that they can be. Um, and I think that's really what we see our mission as. And, uh, yeah, we're just glad to be able to do the work. Well, thank you so much um, for being on Affect Autism. And if anyone has any questions or maybe there are other people around the country or in different countries that want to start a school, are you available to answer questions or do you have a contact information on your website? Yeah, certainly you can uh, contact uh, me through our website. Um, I'll put the link I, to, to your website on the blog as well. That's great. Yeah, and uh, I definitely have done a lot of work with other people trying to start programs and with other programs. We do both the kind of, uh, you know, casual phone call and support, and also we will sometimes, you know, go and do bigger consulting jobs for people that want more support. So that's something we're committed to doing is helping others apply this way of working um, in their place. Well, thank you so much. We've been speaking with Dave Nelson of the Community School in Atlanta, a DIR uh, model school for young adults and adolescents in Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you so much, Dave. Yeah, thanks for having me. Be sure to check out this podcast and the accompanying blog at affectautism.com. And until next time, here's to affecting autism. <laughs>